Thanks for tuning in to the Crew at UGA podcast. We are so glad to have you with us. Crew exists to call students to know God, grow in their faith, and go to the world. If you would like to get more connected with Crew at UGA, or if we can help you in any way at all, go to the show notes and click on the link, or follow us on Instagram at Crew at UGA. All right, let's get started. Hello, everyone. Uh, I'm Kyler. It's really great to be here tonight. I'm, I'm on staff with Crew. My wife is Natalie. She spoke. Uh, she like facilitated the panel last week. If you're here, and uh, yeah, we're both on staff. We work primarily with our Greek students um, here. But uh, but yeah, like Tim said, we are going to be starting our series in First Peter called Stand Firm, and we're just going to jump right in tonight. So uh, so get ready. Um, if you have your Bible, um, you can open to First Peter. But different uh, verses will be on the screen and whatnot too. But as you can guess, the author of 1 Peter is Peter. So this is Peter, the same Peter that we find in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and in the book of Acts. And Peter, he was one of the first disciples of Jesus, one of the first 12 that followed Jesus. Uh, This is the same Peter who Jesus commissioned him to be the rock of the Christian church. And this is the same Peter that would deny Jesus, turn his back on Jesus and run away, but then would eventually come back and be the leader that Jesus intended him to be. And so this phrase, stand firm, that our series is is titled, is all centered around, uh, this phrase, it's taken directly out of 1 Peter. We did not just make that up. And so it's in 1 Peter, and it's actually found at the very end of the book. And so it's kind of a weird way to start tonight. We're actually going to start at the very end. And then come back and then work through it a little bit. So uh, let's, let's, let's see the phrase um, in 1 Peter 5, verse 12. It reads, By Silvanus, a faithful brother as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. Stand firm in it. So though Peter, like I said, he was the author of this letter, he would actually have Silvanus, a faithful brother in the faith, he would have Silvanus pen it for him. And so Peter would tell Silvanus what to write, and Silvanus purposely wrote down everything Peter told him to write. Um, And and Silvanus would take it to the recipients of the letter that we're going to look at in a little bit. But uh, this letter, uh, so I was a comm major in school, and so... All APA style. That's, we lived in APA style when we were writing papers. This letter is not written in APA style. It's written in Greek. And so in APA style, usually you write the purpose statement um, at, the, uh, at the beginning. Uh, that's what my professors, hey, purpose statement goes at the beginning. Uh, here, it's at the very end. And it happens to be the verse we just read. So Peter, he's saying, here's my purpose. Here's why I wrote the letter. He's saying, Sylvanus has written everything down that I've told him to up to this point. And everything that I've written to you, this entire letter I've written, here's my purpose. I was writing all this to you to exhort you, to encourage you, to help you, and to declare to you that this, what I have written, is the true grace of God. So now my final words to you, into my letter, because of the wonderful grace of God that is yours in Christ Jesus, what does he say? Stand firm in it. Stand firm in the grace of God. Stand firm. And so now that we know the purpose, we know why Peter wrote the letter, we know his aim of writing, we can go back, right? We can can see it now through the lens of 
He was writing this entire letter to encourage the church to stand firm. So we're going to talk about what that meant to the original audience here in a little bit. But also as we do this letter, go through this letter, we're going to consider what it means for us. Because whatever you and I face, our hope in going through this letter is that we will experience God strengthening us by his grace and through his word to do what Peter said to do. Stand firm. So that's what we're, that's what we're after. Um, so let me pray for us and then we'll, we'll jump in even more. So God, thank you for tonight. Thank you that we can be here and hear from you. That we can open your word. Your word is living, it's active, piercing hearts. So God, would you do that tonight? God, would we um, be receptive to what you want to say to us through your word? And God, would you speak through me as I just open your word and, and declare what, what Peter declares here? And um, God, I want to specifically pray for the, for the person in this room that's maybe not a follower of Jesus, who's just checking out the whole God thing. God, would you speak to them through your word um, and, and um, show your grace to them because it's definitely here. Um, and for us that are walking with you, that, that love you, would you deepen our faith even more um, through this letter? We love you and we trust you that you're going to do this tonight. Amen. Um, all right, so we just got oriented around the purpose of why Peter wrote this, right? So to declare the true grace of God and to exhort the recipients of the letter to stand firm. But before we open it and look more into it, we've got to consider the context. So what was the context for such a specific purpose of Peter writing? Who were the recipients of this letter and what were they going through in their day-to-day and what does stand firm even mean? Well, let's start now at the beginning of the letter um, in chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. It reads, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are exiles, elect exiles, of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and, the, and for the sprinkling of his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. So Peter wrote this letter around 60 A.D., but let's, let's back up around 30 years. Back up about 30 years. So right before Jesus ascended into heaven, after he lived, died, and was raised again, he commissioned his disciples with one final word. Remember what it was? Go, proclaim the gospel. Make disciples of all nations. And so what happened then, what started as a small group of men and women, began to spread like wildfire throughout the first century world. What would happen is Jesus' communities began to pop up and grow all throughout this area, all because of the disciples obeying to go make disciples. And that's what happened. And so some of these Jesus' communities were what we just read. These were real churches, and they happen to be positioned in modern-day Turkey. You can throw that map up there. Uh, this, is, this is where they were. These are real people, real churches in a real place, real places. And so all these churches started through the going out of the disciples, and Peter, he remains connected to them in some way. And so now he's writing this letter to them. But who were these people? What was their experience of being a Jesus follower? 
We see these people made up in this area. They were likely mixed groups of Jews. So in the Old Testament, God's chosen people. Um, and non-Jews, or how the Bible talks about them as Gentiles. But based on the, content, the contents that we find in the letter and in this particular region, these churches were predominantly filled with people who were non-Jews. So people who came from other ethnic, cultural, and religious backgrounds that were different from Peter and the first wave of Jesus' disciples. Many of them may have been natives to the area that we just showed, but many were likely scattered throughout the area, away from their homes. This is one reason why Peter, he would address them as exiles, or some translation says, uh, it says strangers or aliens um, of the dispersion. You see that in verse 1. But here's what happened. When these non-Jews heard the gospel, the good news of Jesus, that through him and him alone could they have life, could they know God, they believed they believed this message, and they, they gave their whole life to it. They began to live differently. You see, these people, they stopped worshiping the various gods of the Roman Empire that they were living in. They stopped worshiping different gods of their cities, of their families. And as this happened, this change in worship, it would have been considered for these people unpatriotic or even anarchistic to the Roman Empire. It would have been seen as disloyal to their communities, it would have even been considered hatred to their families and their friends, all because they worshiped Jesus. In fact, the Romans would have now considered them as haters of humankind because of their now religious obstinance, their faith in Jesus. But not only would their worship patterns and their beliefs about God, not only would they have changed, the very patterns of their lives would have been different. They would have lived very differently. As embedded in Roman culture, they would have been previously been giving themselves to any and every passion of the flesh that Peter talks about later, just like everyone else around them, just fully living it up. But now, because of their faith in Jesus, they would seek to live morally pure, holy lives, honoring God with their bodies and honoring God with their lives. They would have been different now because of their faith in Jesus. So think with me. As you can imagine, their worship changed. Their lives changed. Because of this, they would have faced consequences. Real consequences for how they lived. See, because of their faith in Jesus and their allegiance to him and their radical obedience to him and him alone, these people were facing significant, amount, significant amounts of pressure leading to suffering and social ostracism. This is what they were going through. They were misunderstood and mistreated. These people were experiencing hostility and harassment every day. They were living through punishment and persecution. They would experience things like insults, abuse, rejection, and shame from their friends and families because of their faith in Jesus. So all of this, it gives a little bit more meaning to Peter labeling them as exiles because in real ways they were. To their government, to their neighbors, to their friends and families, they would look at them with, with suspicion, contempt even. 
these Christians, they would have felt the sentiment every day of, you don't belong here. You do not belong here. And, and what's interesting about Peter addressing them is this. He doesn't deny this reality for them. In fact, he affirms it. He calls them exiles. But by affirming it, what we see through the letter, he, he flips it and he turns it on its head altogether. He actually says, yes, you are exiles. But what that means is, though you don't belong here, you belong to God now. You belong to him. You were chosen by God to have fellowship with him. You are a part of his family. You are citizens of his kingdom now. He affirms them being exiles. This is who Peter is writing to in this letter. So now we've talked about the author. We've talked about the audience. We've got the context. So isn't the purpose making a little more sense now? Stand firm. Peter, he's writing to his suffering and persecuted brothers and sisters in Christ to declare to them the truth and the goodness of the grace of God that is theirs in Christ Jesus. And he is pleading with them, encouraging them, exhorting them, stand firm in this grace. Stand firm. Do not be moved. Do not give up. Do not throw in the towel. Do not go back to how you used to live. Stand firm. God's grace will help you. He will strengthen you. I'm pleading with you. Stand firm in your faith. This is what Peter's doing. In 1 Peter, the entire letter. So you see, as we were prepping for this series, uh, I really wanted, I wanted to talk to y'all. I wanted to hear from you guys about what this is maybe like for you. You know, I've got my own experiences of how my life intersects with this letter, um, but I wanted, to, I wanted to get some perspective from, from you as students. And so what I did is I talked to some of our crew student leaders, and I simply asked them these questions. I said, as a student who is a follower of Jesus, what makes you want to give up? For real, what makes you want to give up? What pressures do you feel every day? What does suffering and persecution look like for you? So as a way to honor them and their honesty and vulnerability, which I'm extremely grateful for, truly. I'm, they're going to remain nameless, but I'm going to share some of what they, what they told me about what they experienced. They mentioned how being a Christian can lead to a loss of friendships and can lead to being rejected by those around them. Someone mentioned how being a Christian can lead to isolation and loneliness. Someone mentioned being publicly mocked because of their faith, not by strangers, but by close friends. Some of them mentioned being rejected by family members because of their faith in Jesus. Many mentioned how doubts, both intellectual and spiritual, can make it hard to trust God and live for Him every day. These doubts they share can come from within, doubts they, they have themselves, but also brought on by those around them, friends, family, even professors. They mentioned the pressure of social conformity that they face, specifically how the culture is growing to be more and more post-Christian. They mentioned how it, to, 
for a Christian to affirm what the Bible says is true about what's right and about what's wrong can create hostility and judgment from those around them that don't hold that view. They mentioned how living out the Christian life itself can just be really difficult sometimes. One person said, with a worldview around us that says, eat, drink, for tomorrow will die, it's common to look like a fool around everyone else around me. One person mentioned how this is especially difficult when other professing Christians continue to live outside God's design for what's good and right. And now they're left to feel isolated, alone, like an outcast, and even shamed for them living up to what God has called them to. And many of them honestly said, when I just face difficulties and suffering and and hard things of all different kinds, it's then that I doubt God's goodness and his presence with me by facing those things. That's when I doubt God. They mentioned how giving up control and surrendering to God in all situations can be frightening and challenging. All in all, they expressed a very real need for the truth of God's word, a need for his grace, and a need for his power working in them. You know, I would say the recipients of Peter's letter felt that need to. Truth of God's word, a reminder of his grace, and his power to help them stand firm. Maybe you're more like the recipients of 1 Peter than you once thought. And I realized that what I shared was just a sample size of some students, but, but what about for you? What do you face? What pressures do you face every day? What do these things look like for you? I'm not a student, and I totally resonate with a lot of what they said. So here's, here's our why of doing the series. We trust that God's Word, it's living, it's active, and what we need from Him is in First Peter as we live our life. For me, I look across this room, I see y'all, and I do not want any of you to give up. I want you all to stand firm in your faith. But more than what I want, I believe this is what God wants. And that's why we're looking at 1 Peter. And I'm going to admit, before we dig in a little bit more, when the topic of persecution and suffering, when it comes up, it can make us feel a little icky. And, and I imagine, I've even had conversations with students about this, uh, imagine it can feel like, you know, what I go through is not that bad compared to other Christians around the world. That can be what people feel like initially. I'm not here to draw those lines. I'm not. Certainly Christians do suffer differently around the world. Absolutely. That is true. But I heard a pastor once say, there's no such thing as the persecuted church and the non-persecuted church. There's just the church. There's just the body of Christ. And we are meant to share in one, one another's sufferings, even though they look differently. Us with them, them with us. And so yes, there is appropriate ways for us to talk about persecution in other parts of the world. That's real. There are ways we can talk about that. There, there's ways that we can share in their sufferings. But I'm not going to be able to talk about that tonight, maybe later in the series. But I just want to make that known that 
let's just be the church. Let's be the body of believers. Regardless of what our suffering looks like, let's look to Jesus nonetheless. And so in this book, there's going to be a lot to say. There's going to be, a lot to say. Um, there's going to be practical wisdom on how to live around non-Christians, with Christians for sure. Um, and there's going to be a lot of hope for us in this book. So, are y'all ready to look at the rest of First Peter? And that was a ton of intro. It was quite the task. Um, so we've talked about the author. We've got the audience. We've got the, we've got the context. We've got the purpose in our sights. So now let's keep reading into 1 Peter. What, is, what truth does Peter anchor his readers in first? What truth is that? Starting in verse 3, I'm going to read all the way through verse 9. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, Though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and honor and glory at the, re- the, at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, you believe in him. And rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Oftentimes when I'm personally suffering or going through something hard, what can happen is my attention can stay on what's right in front of me. And as it stays on what's right in front of me, what then happens is my face falls. My eyes fall. They look down. I get hopeless. I'm filled with despair. But Peter suggests in this section, as he starts the letter... Peter suggests that when we suffer, particularly when we suffer because of our faith, he suggests that we should lift our heads and look up. Instead of starting with what's right out in front of his readers, Peter starts by drawing their attention up to God. Instead of just talking about the here and now, Peter talks about the eternal. Instead of focusing on what they can see, Peter helps them imagine what they can't yet see. And instead of instructing them on how they should live and what they should do, Peter reminds them of all that Jesus has done for them, is doing for them, and will do for them. This is how Peter starts. Peter absolutely acknowledges their suffering, for sure. But he most emphatically starts By anchoring his readers in what? The truth, the beauty, the hope of the gospel. That's how Peter starts. Blessed be the God and Father who saved us through the Lord Jesus Christ. Though we were dead in our rebellion, dead in our sin, dead in our wrongdoing, according to God's great mercy and his love for us, 
He has made us alive. He has caused us to be born again. By His grace, the free gift that none of us could deserve, He has given us new life. We have been born again into a living hope. Living hope. A hope that is sure and certain because it is based solely on Jesus. Jesus was raised from the dead. He conquered sin. He conquered death. And our hope is in Him. It's not dead hope because Jesus isn't dead. It is living because Jesus is alive. That's our hope. Peter, he reminds them, you've been rescued from your sin. You've been born again to a living hope. And you have been saved for an inheritance. We see that in the text. As Christians, we get a wonderful inheritance given to us by God. It's an inheritance that he described, it doesn't perish, it doesn't fade, it doesn't spoil. It's kept in heaven for us. And this inheritance, it's it's eternal life with God. Spending forever with him in the new heavens and the new earth. This is our inheritance. This is our hope. One day, everything will be made new. And it will all be ours to spend with God. To enjoy with God. That's our inheritance. And Peter breaks out and he talks about it being guaranteed. He says, what's the guarantee for all this? Is it us? Is it up to us to secure these things for ourselves? No, it is not. Our guarantee is, he says, God himself. It is his power, it is his authority that guards our inheritance for us, not our own strength or our ability to keep up. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us. And it's by his power that we live. By his grace, God uses trials to purify and preserve our faith. That's what it says. And by his grace, God grants us the faith to remain faithful. Our guarantee is God. Peter breaks out and he says, in this, in this, we rejoice. We are happy. We shout. We are glad because of this news. He says, though we cannot see Jesus. Imagine that. Peter had the privilege of seeing Jesus. Like, imagine that. And he says, though you can't see him yet, you love him. You love him. And though we do not see him now, We believe that He is a wonderful Savior. We rejoice with joy that we will finally see Him one day. One day, we will see Jesus. We were going to obtain the outcome of our faith. Because we're going to be in the very presence of Jesus, our Savior. This is such good news. This is what Peter anchors the readers in first. We learn in verse 10 that this is the very news that the prophets told about in the Old Testament. Paving the way. This is the news that Jesus proclaimed himself. This is the news that he commissioned his disciples to go and proclaim to the rest of the world. This is the news that we have all heard and believed. Or this is the news maybe you're hearing for the very first time. If that's you, I'm so glad you're here to hear this news. You're welcome here. 
This is good news. This is the true grace of God and is everything for us. This is the true grace of God. That's good news. So for the sake of tonight, um, we're not going to be able to keep going in First Peter because we'll be here a lot longer. Um, so we're not going to be able to finish chapter 1. Um, but what happens next is this. I'm going to give a little preview um, and then an encouragement. So starting in verse 13 in, in chapter 1, Peter, he shows us that hope, get this, hope produces holiness. This is what he's talking about. Hope, the hope that we have in the gospel that he's just been laying out for us, that produces holiness or a gospel-transformed life. Because of the hope we have in the gospel, we are fueled to live differently. We are fueled to live lives that honor God and that reflect Him to everyone else around us. And so my encouragement for, for you would, maybe tonight, maybe sometime this week, by yourself, maybe with some buds, get together and read the rest of 1 Peter. Talk about it. How does hope produce holiness? I encourage you to, yeah, just keep, keep reading um, in this section. But as we wrap up, let's, let's hear, let's look at Peter's purpose again. 5.12 that we already looked at. By Sylvanus, a faithful brother as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. Remember, that's his purpose. Let's keep going back to that. That's his purpose. And so what he's saying is he wrote... Chapter 1, 3 through 9, what we've just been talking about, he wrote that to accomplish this purpose. So a reasonable question for us is how? How does chapter 1 connect with his purpose of stand firm? How do those two things connect? You know, as I was thinking about this, can't do this, but I was like, man, I wish we could just all talk about it. Like, how, how does this work? How does hope in the gospel produce our ability to stand firm? Like, what's the connection there? Um... Again, maybe you can talk about it with, with your friends. But, but I'm going to try to sum it up now, and then we're going to close. So I remember when I was in college, um, I'd been walking with Jesus for, for a bit, and it got hard. <laughs> walking with Jesus got hard. I started facing difficulty for it, and, and I didn't know what to do. And I remember I got kind of panicky. Like the, I was like, man, I... If I've been only been walking with Jesus for two, two years, how am I going to go 60 plus years? I got really nervous. It's like, how, how am I going to do this when things just get hard? And I remember I, I went to the crew staff that was discipling me, and, and I just asked him, like, dude, what's the trick? What's the secret sauce of walking with Jesus for a lifetime? Because I do not know. I'm, I'm kind of freaking out a little bit. Like, how are we going to, how can I do this? And I really didn't know what he was going to say, but I'll never forget what he told me. He looked at me and said, Kyler, the secret, the secret is to look to Jesus every day and just fall more in love with him. Look to Jesus every day and fall more in love with him. Don't worry about 60 plus years. Look to Jesus today. 
I think Peter would agree as he started this letter. When life gets hard, when we face suffering, pain, social ostracism, persecution, whatever that may look like, the only thing that is going to keep us from giving up on it all is fixing our gaze on Jesus himself. There's no trick. There's no gimmick. It's look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Fall more in love with him. Remember him and how he suffered for us, as Peter later puts it in his letter. Chapter 2, For to this you've been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. He himself bore our sins in his body on a tree, that, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but now return to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. We look to Jesus as our Savior. And we are daily reminded of his beauty, his glory, his, his wonder, his love for us. We can stand firm. When we imagine the day that we're going to see him, and it's going to be wonderful. We can keep going. And on days even when it, we feel too weak and too broken, God's grace, His power is sufficient for you. His love is still secure for you. He is still keeping you as His own. And His Spirit working in us gives us strength to just lift our heads a little bit and look and see Jesus. So let's trust Him. So tonight as we close, we're just going to look to Jesus. We're going to look to Him. He's the reason that we do stand firm and he's the very source for us to be able to stand firm. So let me pray as the band comes back up to lead us in a time of looking at Jesus. Christ, you're awesome. What a savior you are. That you would come, take on flesh, humble yourself even to the point of death. Bear our sin, our shame on yourself. On your body on a tree that we might have life. God, there's nothing we do, we did or can do to earn that. That you did it because you loved us. So God, would, would we respond now in worship of, of you, of your son, of your spirit working in us. Lord, help us now we fall more in love with you and give us the strength to stand firm. We cannot do it by ourselves. We shouldn't even try. By looking at you and by depending on your spirit, we can stand firm. We love you. We're thankful for you and all that you've done and will do. Amen.